Hi, I'm Jay John. Welcome to Facing the Canon. My guest on the program is Rich Wilson, a man who is passionate about reaching students and discipling them. Rich, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thanks, Jay John. Lovely to be with you. Thank you. I'm very intrigued that, that you growing up, your mother was a Christian, but your father was an agnostic. How was that growing up? Um, it created some tensions for me and probably for my mum. Uh, I think my mum was a, a very full on Christian. She got filled with the spirit when uh, I was two. She came home from a meeting one day and my dad just looked at her and said, you know, what's happened to you? Where, where have you been? And so he noticed something. Um, but it was a long journey for him before he would find faith for himself. And for me, I guess I had different role models. I had a dad who wasn't going to church and I was a bit bored with church. I wanted to be outside playing football and a mum who was very faithful and wanting me to grow up in the Christian faith. But then your father did come to faith in your teenage years. Yes. And did, how old were you then? I think I was about 14. And, and did him coming to faith make any difference? Uh, I think it was very helpful for my mum. I think I still have my wrestle with church. Um, you know, I'm very grateful for my upbringing now, but at the time I maybe was not so grateful. And it wasn't really until I was 17 when I had my own kind of encounter that catalyzed and um, I, guess, I guess lit something in, in my soul and in my spirit uh, that's fueled me ever since. And what happened and where did it happen? It was a, it was a, it was a bizarre um, uh, place in the world as far as I was concerned. I grew up near Manchester and I was part of a church youth group and we decided to go all the way to Norfolk for a youth weekend, which seemed a, a very long way. Isn't that like 400 mile return? It's a ridiculous trip. <laughs> yes. um, and it, and, and we, were, we were going to visit this Pentecostal couple who were farmers uh, and they were hosting us for the weekend. Uh, and I was a little bit skeptical, but I really connected with the guy and I loved his stories. And he had so many stories for how God was very, very real in his life and in the lives of those he touched. And uh, I remember one time he prayed for me uh, and I, I just started sobbing and I didn't know what was going on, but it was an encounter with the Spirit. And um, I came back different, a bit like my mum did all those years ago. Yeah. So you then go off to university and you're fervent in your faith. Tell us what happened then. Yeah, I, I study at Loughborough University uh, and I, I wanted to throw myself in. I wanted a, a kind of a fresh experience of, of church. I grew up in the Anglican church, which I'm very grateful for, but I wanted to explore other churches and other um, kind of denominations and spirituality. And, uh, and I, um, I kind of threw myself into a, a group of Christian friends, uh, the CU, a local church. And Rich, you went to Brazil with a number of friends, including my friend Simon Gilbo. Yeah, Simon Gilbo was there, yeah. Uh, so it's a, it was a great group of young adults at that time, very passionate for God. Um, and we cheered each other on. And, um, and that was the beginning, really, I think, of God settling some things in my heart and my spirit for, for what would lay, you know, later down the line for things that I've given myself to since. And you, you met your wife? I did. I, I met her in the first week. Uh, little did I know. Uh, but she stood out. We became good friends almost from the first week of uni. But there was, there was nothing romantic uh, 
uh, until I left. Um, it took me it took me by surprise actually, but she was a real firecracker, and um, she she was the reason that I I guess I stayed around and, and also probably it was her group of friends that I connected with as well. They'd 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 been part of a move of God when they turned up at university. The number of Christians in her hall of residence trebled. Uh, and really that was the beginning of what was to become uh, a church called Open Heaven that we have been part of and leading since those early days. Yeah, and so both you and your wife pioneered that? Um, nested initially. Initially. Uh, she's a couple of years older than me. I came alongside her, but it was her and a group of her friends, seven of them, who, who pioneered it. And um, Yeah, but the church has thrived and flourished and and has been very fruitful. It's kept going. It's more than kept going. We've planted in France, we've planted in Anglesey over the years. We've got a couple of expressions locally and it's grown up and it's now all age and a couple of expressions, yeah. But as well as co-leading the church with your wife, you also oversee a ministry called Fusion. Tell us about what is Fusion? Uh, well, it was in those early days that I remember sitting in a student room and I felt God speak to me about the student world. And I didn't quite know where I fitted other than that I knew I loved students and I wanted to be part of something that God was doing with students. And, 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 and then I connected with a group of people who were thinking similarly around the country. And this thing called Fusion emerged, which is really about helping students find hope in Jesus and home in a local church. Um, it's I, I really like that. Hope in Jesus and home in a local church. Yeah. Uh, because many have found hope in Jesus, yeah. but haven't always found a local church. No, it seems like that is a bit of a hurdle. Uh, always has been. And I, yeah, it's still a huge challenge. I think both are a huge challenge at the moment. Less than 1% of university students in the UK at the moment are part of local churches. Uh, So whilst we've come a long way, we've put a lot of things in place, it feels like the harvest field is still so huge and um, the hunger's there. Um, And And, and many students um, who go off to university, college, who were brought up as Christians, it can be a challenging time. And if you're not rooted in a church, you could then get distracted, diverted, derailed. Yes, I mean, that's our culture, isn't it? Our culture is one big distraction. Until people maybe hit some difficult points and then they think, there's gotta be more. You know, what I'm going after isn't making me feel too good about myself and maybe it's not working. And I think that's a growing sense of dis-ease, you know, the disease in our culture is this disease in, in, dis-ease in us. And it's not just students, it's right across our nation, as you know. Uh, but it's poignant at a university time, and it's a time to explore, to test some boundaries. And for those growing up in church, we pray they do connect with church, but many are in that point of decision. What do I want to do? Who do I want to be? Who do I want to follow? What do I want to live for? Uh, and we hope that we can join them at that point and say, this is really worth it. Jesus has a plan for your life. And you work uh, with two and a half thousand churches? We're connected with a couple of, two and a half thousand. We work closely with four to 500 in the UK and a few in uh, in other parts of the world. 
Uh, and it's really those we work closely with are based in university cities and we work with their student workers and key people and, and, and look to help them find ways where they can kind of put themselves on the map for students and create a space where students will want to call it home. Uh, Rich, would you speak to anyone that's tuned in now who is a student and picking up on that phrase, hope in Jesus and a home in a local church, would you encourage them to get involved in a local church? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, my, my encouragement is that, that you're not at university by accident, that God has a plan and a purpose for you. And one of the ways you'll find and discover uh, that purpose and be fulfilled in it is to find people who share that passion for Jesus. And so I'd encourage you to explore local church, to find community. And out of that, I'm convinced God will speak to you about what your place in society is. And uh, you'll find mentors and brothers and sisters and those who will cheer you on. So do find a church. Thank you, Rich. Your book, A Core Less ordinary very intriguing title <laughs> tell us about the title um i i think it's the fact that when we're called by god our life is never going to be boring it's going to be an adventure it's going to be something that will fulfill us it won't be ordinary it will be less ordinary it will be thrilling it'll be exciting it will also be hard but it will have those, that breadth of fullness of life that Jesus promises. You, at the bottom, it says your purpose matters. Yes. Okay, tell us about that. I just think we are born for a reason. You know, we didn't choose where we were born, who we were born to, um, but the fact we have been born is, is not our decision, it's God's decision. And because of that, our lives are, are full of divine purpose. And, um, and, and, and it's somehow awakening to that. It's realising that. I think the, the distraction of culture will tell us all kinds of lies about who we are and what we're about. But God has a design in our life to fulfil us, uh, to give it meaning. And um, therefore, we have purpose. Now, uh, Rich, you, you and your wife, uh, Ness, you've got three children. Yes. Two of them are in heaven. Yes. And one is on earth. Can you tell us uh, um, th what their stories? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in grief at the moment. This is, a, this is life for me. Um, Sixteen and a half years ago, we had a baby boy called Josiah. Um, he was born with a heart condition, born very poorly. It was a huge shock. And he was only with us for 24 hours. And um, so that was, a, that was a, a whole grief journey we went on 16 years ago. And we thought we'd, we'd done that. We thought we'd, we'd travelled that road that we never wanted to travel. Uh, and then... Um, and then our third daughter, who came along, uh, when was it? Two and a half years after Josiah was born and was just the most delightful gift. Um, Lauren. Yes. Uh, she, um, she had cancer when she was a little girl. That was another journey we went on. 18 months she had cancer. And we, we got through that. I write about that. And I write yes. about Josiah. 
Um, but then last year uh, in March, March the 1st, 2021, she was diagnosed with a brain tumour. Uh, four days later, she had brain surgery. And um, the prognosis wasn't good. Uh, when, the, when the sample was analysed, it was found to be a, a grade four uh, tumour, very, very aggressive. Um, she made a remarkable recovery for the next eight months. We didn't tell her how serious it was because we felt that it wasn't a burden she needed to carry. And we were also convinced that the future wasn't determined, that we believe in a God who heals and um, who can intervene. So we kind of held that space. It was a pretty torturous eight months for me, um, uh, flip-flopping between a, a future that I'd hoped and dreamed about and a future that I was dreading. And then uh, she started having some pain in September last year in her back and her neck. And uh, I thought it because she'd just been to Jump Giants. She, she was healthy. She was running around. She'd had a great summer. We'd had a great time together. Um, but it was persistent. Uh, and then we were away and she was sick and that was not a good sign. And so she had another scan and um, the doctor basically said, this is a surprise to us. We were anticipating it coming back in the same place but it hasn't come back there, but there is the signs of cancer and tumour uh, in other parts of her body. And um, three and a half weeks later, she died. And um, so we're, we're back in that grief journey. Yes. And a lot to process. Uh, an impossible amount to process, J. John. Yeah, impossible amounts. Grief is... Grief has these different layers to it. I keep feeling like uh, a bit like climbing a mountain. It's almost the reverse. You hit these false summits when you climb a mountain. And I feel with grief, I, I'm hitting some of these false bottoms, uh, that some of it is, is more dark and treacherous than I ever could have imagined. Um, and it's confusing, it's puzzling. Um, and so this, this is a situation where we are clinging onto God, not understanding why. We don't think we will understand this side of heaven. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty convinced there aren't answers for it. Um, yeah, I, I often say, Rich, we, we live in a world of miracle and mystery. Mm. And you, you've got to kind of hold both of those together, don't you? Yes. And um, yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's where we are. And, and grief feels like a ton of emotion that somehow needs to go through the body. Um, if, it, if it were to go through all at once, I, I'm pretty convinced I'd just drop dead. Sure. Uh, and, and, and then uh, oh, thousands of questions that somehow need to make their way through the head and heart. Not to get answered, but just to get voiced. Uh, and I feel like that the, that is the grief journey. It's, it's going into the emotion of it and finding ways for the emotion to come out. Um, I thought I grieved well with Josiah and it was only quite a few years later I realised that um, I had a residue of emotion in my body that manifested in my chest and I, I went really numb and I thought, God, I really don't want to go numb on this journey. I, I want to stay alive to you if, if I can possibly help it uh, and so far it's actually six months in today um, 
the tears have come every day. Yes. Every day, multiple times a day. But I don't know another way. No. Other than to face it, you know, and in God facing it is, is, is what we have to do. It's not something we are, we're ever going to get over or get around, but somehow we have to move through and move forward. Um, and I feel like the movement is about allowing the grief to find its settling place. I, 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 not everyone agrees with this, but I'm pretty convinced we won't always be grieving her. I feel like it's a season, uh, um, and it's a season we're in fully at the moment, and I don't know how long it's going to last. And then I'm hoping it will end, and then it's probably a place we'll visit, but it won't be a place we live. Um, I, th I, th I think it's good to cry. Um, it's actually quite cathartic. It is. And if we don't cry, our organs will cry. Oh, uh, I think I'd probably die if I didn't cry. The, yeah. the, it, the, it, it wells up in the chest and the chest aches. You know, the heart ache is real uh, and it sits in the body. And um, crying is the best way to get it out. Exercise is, is another way, but crying's the best way. And, um, and, and facing it is, is counterintuitive, but this is why we found the Holy Spirit's a counsellor. Yeah. And, and um, a comforter. Yes. But it's kind of counsellor and comforter. Yeah. And, and the counsel, I think, has come with him guiding us. And that guidance has been counterintuitive. He's guided, he's guided us into communion, deeper communion. We've, we've broken bread most days since Lauren died. And often we've done that with friends. And, and the comfort has often come in that context. Yeah. That the, 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 the word is derived from the Latin you probably know, that come is about coming together yeah. and force is with strength. And we're, we find ourselves strengthened by friends and breaking bread and remembering Jesus and remembering his suffering and his brokenness and continually bringing our brokenness to God. We're like, God, we, we don't know what to do with this. Absolutely. But, but you know what to do with it. Uh, what, one, one of our previous guests on Facing the Canon, Sam Aubrey, he said, we're all broken people and we can only be healed yeah. in the broken body of Jesus. Mm. And uh, that's why, yeah, my wife and I, we take communion regularly yeah. as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, and I feel like I'm just scratching the surface scratching. of communion. I think it's what heaven's about, John. It I is. Think, I think that's what heaven is about. It's that intimacy with the Lord, isn't it? With the Lord and with his people, unfiltered, not with all the stuff that gets in the way at times on earth. Yeah. We know each other as we really are, as God designed us to be, with all the beauty. And I think I, think I glimpsed that in my relationship with Lauren. I had such a close relationship yes. and, and the grief is so deep. But I think yeah. one of the things the Lord said to me is this, this is a little taste. It's a little taste of heaven. Yes. Uh, and one day there will be a, a reunion. And... Um, where there will, there won't be any more tears. <laughs> no more tears. You've collected them all, Lord. They're all yes, in your bottle. They're all in your bottle. Yeah. I mean, that's that's quite an inspiring thing. That mm. in heaven with the Lord, yeah. no more tears, no yes. more pain, yes. no more suffering. Yes. One of the most helpful things I read was by Jerry Sitzer, who wrote *A Grace Disguised*, and he talks about after losing three members of his family in one accident 
three generations, his mother, his wife and his daughter. Uh, and as he's picking up the pieces and he writes this book, he talks about rather than chasing the setting sun and extracting the last remnants of warmth out of the old story, he felt the thing to do was basically head east and go into the night and go into the darkness and face the grief full on and head on and trust that the sun would begin to rise. And um, that's, that's where I feel we are at the moment. And yes. I think that's what lots of people actually need to do at this time is they need to head east. They need to surrender maybe some of what's not worked out uh, and trust that the sun will rise as we head east and God will hold our hands through the darkest of valleys. And it's pretty dark at times, but he'll hold our hand. And uh, we're still in that valley. I don't know how long we're going to be in it for, but we do trust that the sun will rise. Will rise. The, um, um, the first funeral that I spoke at was, oh, 35 years ago. And it was um, of a little boy mm. who died tragically. And um, I remember, you know, having spoken at many universities <laughs> and did a lot of apologetics, yeah. you know, but now it's a little boy's funeral. Yeah. And this is what I, I said then, and I remember it very well. I said, the value of a life mm. does not depend on its length. No. The value of a life depends on the value God gives that life yeah. and on the value we give that life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard, but it's true. Yeah. And it doesn't get celebrated in our culture, does it? It doesn't. And um, people talk about a, a full life being a long life. Yes. But, a, but a, a full life is not necessarily a long life. Lauren had a very full life. She, yeah. she, she had the best childhood. She had a blast. She provoked her friends in terms of how she lived and how she died. She died in the most remarkable way. Um, she was never afraid. I, I mean, we didn't get our, the prayers we wanted answered, but we encountered something different in terms of how we journeyed with her. Um, I was by her bedside day and night for those last three weeks. and. Um, one thing that we still baffles us, lots of things baffled us, but one of the things that baffled us was the fact that she was never afraid. And I can't get my head around that, other than God. Yeah, so no fear. Yeah. But, but maybe the perfect love of Christ had cast that out and she knew something of the love of Christ. Yeah. 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 So I know you are in pain, Rich. Mm. Um, but what would you say to any of our viewers now who are struggling mm. with the same pain that you've expressed? Well, we all, we all face pain and loss. We all face pain and loss, and it, it can't be compared, but we know when we feel it. Uh, and my encouragement is to take it to God, to take it to the cross, to keep taking it. Um, there's a pathway where our pain can be transformed. The wounds that give us tremendous pain at the moment, I believe that God wants to tend to them and slowly heal them and slowly they become sacred. And, and actually when we allow God to do that, instead of it being something that stops us 
being the person we want to be or stops us doing things, it frees us then to give our lives away and particularly give our, our comfort away and our learning away. And um, at times it's terrifying facing our pain, but it's the only way. And so I'd encourage you to find a friend, start talking it out, find the counselling you need. Start by going on your knees and saying, God, help me. And he will. Yes, Rich, he will. Uh, and, and talking out is very important, isn't it? Because I think we don't talk things out. We'll take things <laughs> out on God. Yes. Often. Yes. And he can handle that as well. And he can handle that as well. Yeah. But so talking is good, and, and particularly for men. Men aren't very good at it. No. Uh, and um, I've deliberately reached out to a number of men, partly for my benefit uh, and partly for their benefit, and, and uh, shared, you know, sharing some of the, 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 the inside track of this journey. Um, maybe more candidly than they would like, but I, I just know it's important. It's important for me and actually it's important for them. If we're, if we're to mourn with those who mourn as well as rejoice with those who rejoice, um, it's, it's okay. It's okay to go there. Yes. It's okay to feel sorrow. I, I'm learning what it is to be a man of sorrows. Um, it's a part of an identity of Christ that I've resisted maybe, but now I'm actually... I wouldn't say I'm happy to own it, but I'm maybe privileged to own it. To own it, and um, I also feel, John, that if if I don't f go in, go into the sorrow, then I'm never going to know the joy. Yeah, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, so, so bizarrely, during this journey, there has been joy. The days have have not been totally bereft of joy and happiness that and again for me that's because this this god attribute and quality is not something i'm particularly in control of but when i seek god he, he meets me where i'm at and maybe when i've done with some of the sorrow i discover a bit of his joy uh, and that's that's a bit of my story and learning from this time <laughs> hard fought but it's there absolutely Rich, thank you so much um, for making yourself vulnerable, um, for being willing uh, to talk about your children, your family um, and the grieving process. Yeah. But there's a lot to get on with. Yeah. And we pray uh, the healing grace of Christ upon you and your family. Thank and you. continued favour on your ministry. Thank you, Jay John. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Wow. I do hope that you have actually been inspired by what Rich has shared. Yes, we do live in a world of miracle and mystery. But the Lord reigns. He is sovereign and we need to trust him. Trust him in the dark times and trust him because he is the Alpha and the Omega. And one day we will see those that we've lost who've been promoted to glory and there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sickness. Thank you 
for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. One doctor developed the world's first vaccine. One civil rights activist helped to end racial segregation in the USA. One botanist developed new farming practices supporting impoverished farmers. One former slave escorted 300 others to freedom. One watchmaker saved the lives of 800 Jews and refugees during World War II. One politician persisted to see slavery legally abolished in the UK. Faith, love, generosity, sacrifice, perseverance. Heroes of the Faith, the new coffee table book by J. John. Available now at canonjjohn.com.